The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. It's time for a different take on spirituality for the modern world. Welcome to Big Universe with Jim Lefter. Hi, welcome to Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I'm Jim Lefter. I'll be your host today. Kind of a spiritual journeyman kind of guy and media producer. I run a website of online courses called youththrivehere.com. And I'm also the president of the CSL Greater Baltimore. I hope you'll be happy joining me today as co-host is Spiritual Rebel, Sarah Bowen. Sarah's the author of Spiritual Rebel, a positively addictive guide to finding deeper perspective and higher purpose. How are you doing today, Sarah? I'm okay, Jim. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's uh, interesting times we're living in. It is. I've been um, feeling kind of like that Zen story about the teacup that's full and there's not much more that can come in right now. I feel like I'm I'm dealing with a lot of different opinions and perspectives and how to hold all of that, right? Spiritual practice is really becoming a key in terms of keeping my sanity. How about you? Yeah, it's definitely a time for reflection on that. I mean, there's so much going on and so many opinions about everything. Um, it's good to have diversity, though. It's good to have a diversity of thought um, as long as we come together respectfully and you know, I think there are, there are differences in spirituality too. You know, I we have a lot of different kinds of folks that come on the show and, you know, some of the ideas I cotton to, some of them I don't as much, uh, but I'm certainly open to all kinds of spiritual paths. And I think, you know, being present with the possibilities is so important. You know, and I think the word curiosity is becoming more and more valuable to me. Like when I hear something being trying to take the state of being curious about it mm-hmm. rather than trying to decide, do I agree or don't I agree? And because I have this tendency, I don't know, you know, to kind of want to decide if I agree with something in the first sentence. You know, right, right. Like when you're, when you go to watch a preview for a TV show and you watch like the first 30 seconds and you're like, nah, nah, not that thing. Right. So it's really like letting people finish before I start to make my judgments. Right. I have to kind of wait past the trailer and wait till the end of the movie, so to speak, in this metaphor, uh, before I start thinking about whether I agree or don't agree with something. Yeah, and judging, and you know, it's you don't want to judge the person for what they're what they're doing, but there are certain things that, you know, you do you do cotton to, and you do agree or disagree with. But it is important to give them space and kind of say, okay, where are they coming from, and what might they have, what might have brought them here, you know, just to kind of understand that there are there are diversity there is diversity in what we learn 
Yeah. And it's easy on the little things. Like when you and I fight about Star Wars versus Star Trek, (laughs) (laughs) but it's, it's harder on the bigger things. And boy, there are a lot of bigger things going on right now. So I am grateful that we have this time to kind of talk about, and I know today we're going to talk about one of those topics that's um, kind of dear to my heart, um, which is, you know, how how do we treat the more than human world? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's messy. That's super messy. So um, I think taking this this time to reflect on things rather than try to fix them or figure them out perfectly uh, is a wise tack. Yes, definitely in the spiritual realm, that is very, very true. All right, are you ready for some dueling inspirational quotes? I am. Shall I or shall you? I'm totally going first today. Okay. Okay. Here's what I've got. I'm, I'm going straight forward. All right. Wonder is the heaviest element on the periodic table. Even a tiny fleck of it stops time. Oh, I like that. That's Diane Ackerman. Uh, it's from the book, Rarest of the Rare, Vanishing Animals, Timeless Worlds. And Diane has some beautiful books that really get us into um, some of the biodiversity that we've lost in a really fascinating and curious and wonder-filled way. So I thought we might bring her voice in today. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Wonderful. A great pun, Jim. Ah, <laughs> I like puns. You know that. I know you do. What do you got for me today? Gratitude for the present moment and the fullness of life now is true prosperity. That's Eckhart Tolle. Oh, nice. So we have we have gratitude and we have wonder. I like that. I think that's a good combination. I do too. That sounds good for today. I tell you what, why don't we agree on the diversity of our quotes and not actually battle today for them? Isn't that a great idea? We both win. We both win. All right, are you ready for the show? Sounds good. Let's do it. Funniest Thing Guy, Ed Biagioti, joins us with a new segment. Hello, everyone. My name is Edward Biagioti. I'm the co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed right here on Unity Online Radio. And it is a pleasure to be with you today on Big Universe, talking about animals, our connection with animals, the importance of that connection, the joy of those connections. My co-host on Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed is Daryl Fazzaro, and his wife Lori is the head pet photographer, the head, excuse me, photographer for Best Friends Los Angeles. She has a background as a pet photographer. Now she takes all of the photos or many of the photos that are used by Best Friends LA, which is a um, no-kill animal shelter. She's done such great work taking photos and capturing the essence of these dogs, which has really helped them get rescued, dogs and cats, as a matter of fact. And being at the Fazaro household is amazing because they have cats and dogs and cats that have, they've adopted even from the neighborhood that have showed up at their door and over time became part of the family. And just seeing how Lori and Daryl connect so effortlessly with these animals really opened my eyes to the importance of having them around in my life. There's something about that unconditional love that is felt when an animal looks at you. Any kind of animal, really. There's something about looking into the eyes of another creature that does not have 
the same type of worries and concerns that we humans carry around. There's something about the presence of these animals, how easily they stay connected to the present moment. That's also really helpful. I mean, my old cat Ducky used to always show up, crawl up on my lap or lay on whatever part of my body it seemed like needed the love in that moment. Cats are, are so intuitive. It's amazing. We have a, a cat that roams around the neighborhood, and it's always at the right moment. Georgie is his name. He'll walk up and rub up against my leg and say hello, and we'll spend some time together. And there's something about that time with an animal that just brings me so much joy. The more and more time I've spent meditating, getting in touch with the essence of who I am and the essence of life, really, the divine mind, this God power within us all that radiates through every living creature, the more I spent getting in tune with that, the more I found that I connect sometimes more with the dogs that are walking by than even the humans at times because the joy on the faces of the dogs even in and amongst all of the things that are going through the heads of the humans and whatever stressors might be there or whatever's going on, to see that pure joy is such a gift. Because really, I mean, these spiritual practices, these spiritual practices, excuse me, that we, that we have, in, in my estimation, and I feel like my understanding of the Bible and other spiritual teachers is they're really the... The goal of all of this is to bring us back to our true nature, which is love, which is joy. When I really allow my thoughts to settle and allow new inspiration to flow through, it's just joy. Joy bubbles up. Play bubbles up. And I feel like I become a lot more like a dog, a happy dog or a happy pet walking around in the day saying hello to people sharing my love effortlessly with people, seeing the good in other people, sharing laughter, sharing smiles, sharing in life in just such a joyous way, in the same way that one of that a dog might do it. It it's just such a it's just such a blessing to have these animals around that remind me of what is real. They're they're unencumbered by things that can sometimes weigh me down. And the smile on the face of an animal is priceless. I do my best to practice these things so that I smile as big as a dog smiles when you're petting, when I'm petting the dog or you're petting the dog or you see a dog chasing a ball or, ah, animals are just so sweet and such an important part of life and such a good reminder that our true nature is love. My name is Ed Biagioti, co-host of Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed. It's been a pleasure to be with you on Big Universe today. Here's Martha Creek with a Unity Moment. Inspired by the Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz, this is Martha Creek on Agreement 4 today. MarthaCreek.com to contact me. Always do your best. Hmm, how would I know? Is it ever really my best? Was that my best? Was that my best self? Your best is going to change from moment to moment. My best changes from moment to moment. It will be different 
depending on the state of mind that we're in, it'll be di different, very different, depending on the state of our emotional well-being, our physical well-being, our spiritual well-being, whatever is our best. So in order for me to do my best and be at my best requires me to be in good self-care of my emotional base, my spiritual base, my physical base, and certainly in even my financial base. All the aspects of myself being cared for. Because when I am, and you've heard this many times, I'm sure, the word halt as a um, guidance for us to go, if I'm hungry, I'm not likely going to be my best self. A, um, angry, mad, even tiffed, biffed, whatever. I'm not going to be my best self. Things are not going to go well. L, lonely, feeling disconnected, isolated, um, um, un unable to uh, connect with the spiritual source of me. Or T, tired. Halt when I'm hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. I'm not going to be at my best self. So halt, restore and renew myself before proceeding. Halt, restore myself before I speak. Halt, restore myself before I fire off that email or that text. Leaning always in the direction of being and doing my best. And then in any circumstances, any circumstances to commit to do my best through living the other agreements, which is that in any circumstance, I will continue to practice and live into avoiding self-hate and self-judgment, self-abuse, and making whatever choice, 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 choosing words, choosing actions, choosing response, choosing ideas, choosing that's going to leave me with less and less and less regrets. What would you do today? What would your choices look like today if you were guided by every choice that's going to leave you with less regret. Always do your best. Hi there, Big Universe listeners. This is Spiritual Rebel Sarah Bowen again. I finally talked Jim into giving me a little time to talk about the more-than-human world. Well, now to be fair, Jim lets me talk about critters all the time, but today I got a little bit of dedicated time to talk about animals and spirituality. Because humans are only 0.01% of life on the planet. Yeah, that means that 99.99% of life on Earth isn't human. And so what's the spiritual perspective for that 99.99%? Is there one? Can we prove it? What would it mean if there was spirituality for animals other than humans? Let's take a look. Of course, for most of us, the species we're most familiar with are those that live in our households. Studies suggest that over 67% of households in the United States and 57% of homes worldwide include a species other than human. Psychologists and animal studies scholars will point to some positive effects for these relationships. 
by sharing our lives with other species, we become more likely to acknowledge their capacity to think and feel, qualities which we humans value. And this directly impacts the moral consideration we'll give another species. The term pet has been used since the 16th century in Scottish and Northern England dialects, and it meant a favorite, either human or other than human. In the 18th and 19th century, the word pet spread as more and more people were keeping tamed animals for uses other than food or fiber or using them for work. And during the 20th and 21st century, well, you can see, 67% of our homes are interspecies. But this also raises questions about animal rights and animal welfare. And the term pet became seen a little bit derogatory, so many people shifted to using the term animal companion. Now, as a kid raised on Dungeons and Dragons, animal companion to me always implied some sort of fearsome, four-legged, furry adventurer who had my back. Something like the Stark Kids dire wolves on Game of Thrones. So it was a little bit of a stretch for me to go from calling the cats who lived in our home Deacon and Bubbage companion animals. And also, I can debate whether they look at me the same way. Doesn't companionship need to be acknowledged by both parties? Is their failure to leave our locked house enough to be companions? Do they daydream of living in different places with other people? It seems possible. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not advocating that households must necessarily be restricted to a single species, or that we should stop living with other animals. Yet on the other hand, I realize there is a paradox in my belief about animals. I generally think they shouldn't be kept in cages, and yet we keep Bubba G and Deacon indoors, quote-unquote, for their safety. We did build them a catio so they could get fresh air. It's a finely crafted and cleverly named screened room where they can go out and check out the outside, but for all intents and purposes, it's still a large cage. These lexical and ethical quandaries, combined with my experience of a lot of animal loss, inspired me to specialize in animal chaplaincy when I attended seminary. Chaplaincy differs from traditional clergy in that while we may come from a specific religious or wisdom tradition, our support typically extends beyond it. There are chaplains in hospitals, universities, fire departments, corporations, prisons, and the military. And there are new types of chaplains popping up, eco-chaplains, cruise ship chaplains, and animal chaplains. Regardless of where we serve or who we serve, chaplains offer spiritual support. As an animal chaplain, I like to say that I support all sentient beings regardless of their species or belief system. Now, some people get a really odd look when I reveal this. What, do you have a church for cats or something, they say? And to this, I usually respond... Well, not yet, and kind of giggle, but then I add seriously, I do teach interspecies meditation practices, support animal-human bonds, help humans recover from personal animal loss, and I engage in a lot of advocacy to improve life for the other sentient beings that we share this planet with. Do you want to know more? And I've found most people are interested in hearing more, especially when I reveal stories from the long history of clergy mingling with animals. You know, there's Noah in the Ark, and there's St. Francis of Assisi. In fact, Christianity is full of stories of animals. Other traditions, too. In the Jain tradition, a story is told that in a previous life, Mahavira had been born as an elephant when a fire raged through the forest where he lived. All the animals took refuge, packed tightly into a circle. And Mahavira, now as an elephant, lifted one of his immense legs to scratch an itch. 
as he began to lower it, he realized a little rabbit was now occupying the space where his foot had been. Out of his compassion for all living beings, he kept his leg lifted for two and a half days until the fire was over. Tragically, as soon as he lowered his leg, he died from severe pain. As a result of this kindness, though, he was born next as a prince. Buddhist stories are filled with kindness towards animals as well. From a Buddhist point of view, sentient beings are precious and have the potential for enlightenment. One story reports the Buddha teaching a field of 500 swans who went on to become monks in their next life and then enlightened beings. And in the Islamic tradition, a story is told of Muhammad's beloved cat who had fallen asleep on the Prophet's shirt. Needing to dress for prayer time, yet reticent to disturb the cat, Muhammad cut off the shirt's sleeve. This reminds me of in my house when someone asks me to do something and I say, I can't, there's a cat on my lap. Anyone else ever do that? While human-animal relationships are filled with much more complexity than these tidbits can convey, they suggest perhaps why every so often those of us involved in various facets of animal ministry find ourselves summoned to bless animals. And I think it's possible these activities are making a difference, as I find more and more people are willing to consider the spiritual lives of animals, beyond just the bestowal of blessings by spiritual leaders. Animal communicators tune in energetically to beings in the hopes of receiving messages about what an animal needs. Many massage therapists, acupuncturists, and Reiki practitioners now offer wellness services for clientele beyond humans as well. Yet skeptics may wonder, is there any proof for all of this conjecture about animal spirituality? Just 300 years ago, Animals were considered complex machines whose organs, bones, and muscles could be seen as cogs, pistons, and cams, driving mechanistic beings who could not think or feel pain. It was declared that only humans had consciousness, minds, and souls, and therefore were the only beings deserving of compassion. But since then, science has revealed a much different reality. Each living being experiences the world in radically different ways that are infinitely ingenious, diverse, and awe-inspiring. Snails can't focus or see color. Birds see color. Others, including humans, cannot. Bats and dolphins navigate the world by sound. Bears and moles rely on their amazing sense of smell. Catfish taste the world, their bodies literally covered in taste buds. So although we humans seem to act as if the center of the universe runs straight through our individual foreheads, we must not interpret that as suggesting the world was made exclusively for people. Things exist in the world that aren't solely for us humans, stuff we can't see, hear, smell, or experience. But others can. If those others indeed can think, feel, and act autonomously, why would we draw a line at denying them spiritual lives? Primatologist Jane Goodall is a notable pioneer in speculating on the inner lives and the spiritual lives of animals. Her companion animals, of course, were chimpanzees in the wild. In her memoir, Reason for Hope, she reflects on an unexpected experience in the forest of Nigeria. She says, Lost in awe at the beauty around me, self was utterly absent. I and the chimpanzees, the earth and trees and air seemed to merge to become one with the spirit power of life itself. In a flash of outsight, I had known timelessness and quiet ecstasy, sensed a truth of which mainstream science is merely a small fraction. 
What's more, Goodall suggested that chimpanzees also might experience feelings similar to those, feelings of awe, pointing to their manner of moving rhythmically back and forth at a waterfall. James Harrod, the director of the Center for Research on the Origins of Art and Religion, studied Goodall's and other primatologists' reports to answer a significant question. Do chimps engage in religious behavior? His analysis of their research suggests yes. And so Harrod advocates for what he calls a trans-species definition of religion, which is based not on specific beliefs about God or dogma, but based in reverence, wonder, and experiences of aliveness and animacy. Yes, listeners, it appears chimps might be spiritual but not religious. Critics of this idea might ask, well, is this experience the same as a human experience of spirituality? And that's a fair question. Would a chimp tap something universal? Or would her experience have a chimpness to it? And if we branched out to the animals we call companions, would their experience have a dogness or a catness or a bunniness to it? Or would all spiritual experiences connect to some sort of universalness? A universal feeling of awe, a universal connection. Well, language is a barrier here, since we can't ask the chimp or dog or cat or rabbit what they're experiencing. But then again, one of the most widely cited attributes of a spiritual experience is ineffability, the inability to explain it well with words. Neurological research confirms that spiritual experience takes place in the so-called primitive areas of our brains. So what we call spirituality may indeed be possible for other animals with similar brain structures to ours, and that includes horses, cats, and dogs. Of course, animals do not need us to prove any of this. They do not need our permission to be mystical, spiritual, religious, or otherwise. But I believe they do desperately need us to recognize and respect their capacity for a full life, not just beings for humans to cuddle and play with or to use for our own ends. Otherwise, we're just perpetuating a more socially acceptable version of dominionism. And yet, when animals live with us, we do have to make decisions about their lives. Whether due to accidents, diseases, body differences, tumors, many companion animals have their lives shortened as humans make difficult decisions on their behalf. And we also make decisions about the animals that don't live in our homes. Sometimes we're aware of their challenges. Other times we're not. Sometimes we're willing to look. Other times we're not. And this is where animal theology and animal chaplaincy can help as we dig into the messy, multi-layered relationships that humans share with other beings and the planet. If you'd like to learn more about animal spirituality, try some interspecies meditation, hear about my forthcoming book about animal loss, or just learn more about the challenges facing the more-than-human world, head over to my website at spiritual-rebel.com. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Away, 
And now it's time for our interview. Judy McCoy Carmen, earth peace and animal activist, is the author of Peace to All Beings, Veggie Soup for the Chicken Soul, and co-author of The Missing Peace. In addition to animal rescue work, some current projects include co-founding the Animal Peace Prayer Flag Project, Circle of Compassion, Prayer Circle for Animals and Interfaith Vegan Coalition. She's on the board of Shy 38 Animal Sanctuary and received the Henry Spira Grassroots Animal Activist Award in 2014. Her website is peacetoallbeings.com and her latest book is, I'm going to get the name wrong, Homa Amza, I'm in, uh, is, what is it? Ahimsa. Her latest book is Homo Ahimsa. <laughs> Uh, with the subtitle, Who Re We Really Are and How We're Going to Save the World. Hi, Judy. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jim. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate that. And thanks for all your kind words. Absolutely. So I am ready. All right. <laughs> all right. So, you know, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, you, you talk about a very important spiritual connection we have with animals. And I wanted to get a sense of, you know, what does that mean to you and what does that mean to us? A spiritual connection to animals, I think, is uh, something that a lot of us ha are missing. Um, one of the reasons I think so many people have dogs and cats is, is that longing to be part of the natural world and be connected to the animals. And we have been separated in so many different ways from them, especially from the animals of the wild, <clears throat> which, you know, is one of the reasons people go to national parks and, uh, and people who can't go to the national parks or can't get out to hike and be with the natural world uh, are suffering. And they're finding more and more out about that, the, the need, the critical need, psychologically, spiritually, and, and physically, <clears throat> to connect with nature. So uh, I think uh, uh, as spiritual people, as people on a spiritual path, we're, <clears throat> we're aware of how important that aspect is to us. And um, we're trying, I think many of us and many listeners here are trying to find ways to help reconnect to nature for ourselves, for our own inner peace, but also for uh, people that depend on us for um, education about inner peace and uh, that's that sort of thing. So I think, uh, and animals uh, are part of nature and, and I think, you know, even, even insects have a magical, magical quality about them so that uh, if we can connect with them in a really individual, personal way, um, it does something to us. It wakens our hearts and our spirits. Um, when I go for walks, I live in the country, so when I go for walks, lots of times there'll be snails trying to cross the gravel road, and that's, they really can't get clear across because they get all covered with gravel underneath. So you have to pick them up, right? And help them across the road. And worms the same way. 
<clears throat> and to look at them and have them looking back at you. It's a little harder with worms, but with snails, <laughs> with snails, they definitely look at you. And <clears throat> if you really just stop and when you're holding a snail and really look at them and feel their energy and them looking back at you, there's something very holy and very sacred about that. And, and it, it wakes something up in us that is just, um, it's, it's a mystery that we can enter into. And it's just, it's, it's a wonderful thing. So, and I want that for everybody. So thanks for, is that a, uh, answer your question? It does. It does. <clears throat> it does. And I love that as you're sharing that, that story, Judy, there are like three squirrels running across my yard in front of us. I, I have this feeling like they know that we're talking about that. Connection. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so amazing to watch them. I was just reading a story yesterday about squirrels of this man that wanted to get rid of all the squirrels in his yard because <clears throat> they were bothering him. And then one day, the baby squirrels, there was a big wind and the baby squirrels fell in his yard. <clears throat> and he'd been complaining to the, the wildlife rehab place, come and get the squirrels, get them out of here. And <clears throat> anyway the baby squirrels fell in his yard and he watched the mother squirrel come down and pick up each baby and take them back up the tree. And he just fell in love with them. Mm. And he called the rehab place and he said, I love these squirrels, don't come take them. Not that they were going to. And, and I just wanna watch them. And now I wanna set up special little feeding stations for them and everything, so. Mm. He, it, it touched him at a very deep place mm -hmm. to see that mother and how much she loved her babies and see her as an individual. I think you know, that's a real key. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm struck by, you know, you're both a peace activist and an animal activist. And what is the relationship between uh, what we're talking about here with the sacred holy encounter with the more than human world, right? And peace. How, how do those go together for you? That is such a good question. Um, it's always been uh, one and the same to me. And so I've been on a lot of peace marches with, with signs about peace for everyone. And of course, my book, Peace to All Beings, is named that for a reason. Um, but uh, there's a lot of very famous people who have noticed that connection, that as long as we're cruel to animals, we can't really have peace for ourselves, world peace or inner peace. Um, Tolstoy said, as long as there are slaughterhouses, there will be battlefields. And um, I know there's a lot of new thought people um, listening in, and I, I've got a quote, oh, here it is, um, from Charles Fillmore, who uh, was very uh, outspoken about world peace, how to get world peace, and he wrote, um, I thought I had it, here it is, 
We need never look for universal peace on this earth until men stop killing animals for food. <clears throat> the lust for blood has permeated the race thought and the destruction of life will continue to repeat its psychology the world round until men willingly observe the law in all phases of life, thou shalt not kill. <clears throat> and that was, uh, he wrote that in 1920. Uh, and of course, there's, uh, I actually, on my website, peace to all beings.com, I have a little section, um, I'm calling it peace quotes, and it's quotes from uh, Rachel, Rachel Carson and Schweitzer and um, Pythagoras, Isaac, Bathsheba Singer, and a lot of different people who all are saying the same thing. We can't wage war on animals and expect to have peace for ourselves. It doesn't make sense. And it's of course against the golden rule. It's against our highest values. And so I, to me, peace, the, the peace movement, peace activism, working hard to stop wars and, uh, and violence and bring peace to the world is we have to be thinking about not just human beings. We've got to be thinking about everybody and stopping violence toward everyone. So um, I think, does that answer your question about- Yeah, you know, I think, it, I think it does. And I think one of the things that, that I love that, um, that you co-started, co uh, I believe, in, in this area, and that might be of interest to our, our listeners who, who like affirmative prayer and other kinds of tools for working with compassion is the prayer circle for animals. And, and it's a practice that I do every day. Uh, and I'm wondering if you could, I want to try to talk Jim into doing this every day. So could you tell <laughs> us, a and everybody else listening, all of our gazillion listeners, can you talk a little bit about, uh, about what that is and, and how to do it? Because it's super easy. And I think it, it, it helps create this shift of, of thinking compassionately about all beings. Okay. All right. So what you're talking about is this affirmative prayer that Will Tuttle and Madeline Tuttle and I put together. Um, we, we started the, the Circle of Compassion, um, oh gosh, almost 20 years ago, I guess. So we have a website, thecircleofcompassion.org. And we came up with this prayer that we wanted the world to be saying. And it's, I know most of your listeners know about affirmative prayer and how important it is uh, to visualize, to, to see it already really there. It's already happening. It's already in our hearts. It's already in our spirits. And, and it's going to outpicture once we really see it and um, smell it, taste it, love it, all of that, embrace it. So, <clears throat> so every day at noon, we say these words, compassion encircles the earth for all beings everywhere. And we have that on the circleofcompassion.org website it's translated, I think, into 26 different languages now. So right on the first page, it's so beautiful to see that. 
I was and, on there the other day, Judy, and I was trying to pronounce it in other languages. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not like, maybe on Tuesdays I'll do it in Spanish and maybe right. on Wednesdays I'll do it in German. Oh, but you do, I think you have like close to 30 languages now there. Yes, yes. So people will see it and then they'll offer to translate it for us, which is just lovely. And so it's, yeah, it's around the world right now. And of course, the energy field that creates is tremendous and i believe that you know that and many many other prayers that are going around the world these days all the prayer flags and all of these things uh, are having an impact and i think we're we're seeing a rising of consciousness happening right now and in the midst of all this chaos which uh Teilhard de chardin said this this is uh the beginning of a new world basically mm -hmm. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. This is the caterpillar uh, turning into imaginal cells, and, and we're going to come out of this as butterflies. At least this is what we need to be picturing and knowing deep in our hearts and acting on. So, yeah, so we love that prayer. And um, kind of uh, as an offshoot from that, we started the Prayer Circle for Animals Facebook and anybody can join and we you can post prayers on there for like um, a dog that is sick that you want prayers for or a dog that needs a home or a cat any um, animal companion that you have in your home but also you can post prayers there for a large group of animals that are say you know uh, being killed for one reason or, or many others um, in labs and circuses and zoos and all these different places where animals need our prayers uh, and slaughterhouses and farms and on and on and on. So there are, um, those can be posted there as well. So, um, and I, I write a prayer and post it once a week on there and uh, I've actually written I wrote my 500th prayer a couple of weeks ago. So. Oh, Judy, wow. you're a prayer addict. Wow, that's, <laughs> I guess. that's amazing. Yes, that's not a bad well, addiction to have. Jim, I can we count you in at noon? <laughs> sure, sure thing, sure thing. I, yay, yay. All uh, right. Let me ask you, real, uh, you know, you're, you call your book Homo Ahimsa. And what, what is Ahimsa? What does that mean? Okay, thanks for asking. It's a Sanskrit word, and it means literally non-harm. Himsa means harm, ah is the opposite of harm. And that is the vow that Gandhi took. It's a Jain vow and from the Jain religion. And Gandhi took that vow, and his family um, also did. And so that is kind of what helped him figure out his nonviolent activism. And so, I mean, there are so many stories about him um, being beaten up and just, just taking it and saying, you know, those people don't know what they're doing or they wouldn't do that, just the same way Jesus did. So um, it's, Ahimsa is, it's more than non-harm really, it's, um, it goes beyond that to loving kindness, um, unconditional love. It's a, 
it's just so beautiful. So the Janes for centuries and centuries have had animal hospitals and the Jane um, monks will actually wear masks, um, interestingly at this time, um, but they've always worn them. But the reason they do that is not to not spread germs, but actually to prevent insects from being inhaled by them or little little tiny beings we can't even see. Mm. And then they have carry a little broom that they sweep if they're gonna sit down to make sure nobody's there. Mm. And because some of them are so tiny you can't see them. Right. So um so the Janes have really pioneered this idea and um you know not many of us are going to be carrying around little brooms like that but um but the idea is to me, the, and the reason I wrote the book, let me, let me back up a little bit. Um, I, we're, we're homo sapiens sapiens at this point, as what we have been labeled. And it's ironic because sapiens means wise. And unless you think of it as a wise guy, instead of <laughs> very intelligent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, it doesn't make a lot of sense because we have done so much damage to this world. It is, who could have ever imagined this a uh, hundred years ago, even that we could do the kind of damage we've done and pollute the ocean, the air, water, you know, the soil. And, you know, we all know all that. So, uh, but anyway, I, a fellow um, wrote a book called Homo Deus not too long ago, no, Noble uh, Harari, Harari is his last name, and I read that book, and I was, uh, it's a disturbing book, because he's looking at the trends towards technology, and being hooked in uh, to computers so much, and people even wanting to have computer chips implanted to improve their brain power and things like this. And, uh, and he is also saying that the very wealthy will want to take advantage of all these uh, bionic parts, you know, in order to live forever, which is where he gets homo deus for God, um, God human. And so I thought, you know, I've got to write homo ahimsa. We're not if we go the direction he's talking about, we are not going to make it as a species. We're going to go down and become extinct, possibly. So I thought, you know, I've always believed that the, the deepest part of us as human beings is love. And that's what we're made of. That's what we're here to do. That's why we came here and yet we evidently have this other tendency in us toward violence so i wanted to write a book that could say okay let's let's look at what we've done as homo sapiens and recognize homo sapiens has lived so long in this paradigm of domination and violence that that species is not going to be able to solve the problems that it created. And therefore, we need to 
move on over to who we really are. And it's not so much a transformation into a new creature, but rather opening up to who we really are and have always been, but we got sidetracked somehow. And who knows why? There's anthropological evidence that about 10,000 years ago, we invented animal agriculture. And at the same time that that got started, pandemics got started. And guess what? War got started. There's pretty good evidence that there was no war before there was animal agriculture. And that makes sense because animal agriculture allowed us to start getting it crowded into cities and, um, and then have hierarchical governments. And, and people at the top who could actually force people to go to war and for them while they sat back in their thrones and, and got the riches from the wars. So, uh, so that is the paradigm that we have to let go of, the paradigm of domination and, and create a paradigm of partnership where, of egalitarianism where we can all live in peace together with the animals, with nature. And with that mindset and with that connection to our, uh, our loving selves, our true selves, our highest nature, then we can find solutions to the problems that Homo sapiens created. So that's kind of the basic um, rundown of that. Uh, but I just wanted to mention too that um, the golden rule is common in various forms to all religions, as far as we know. And that means to me that our true nature is to love one another, to take care of one another, to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and to not harm others. And that's so if that's our highest nature, if that's our highest goal, and all religions agree with that, then, hey, let's do it. Let's get to it. Let's figure out how to do that. <laughs> exactly. I think, and the figure, figure out how to do it, I think, is, is where we often, you know, get stuck. As, as you mentioned in the beginning, Judy, you know, when Unity was started with Charles and, and Myrtle, right? Um, and I didn't, I didn't know that. I didn't oh, know yeah. they were vegetarians. He I wrote really for, didn't know that. He wrote for like 40 years on vegetarianism and was really passionate about plant-based diet. And for some of the reasons that Judy mentions too. So that's kind of a fun thing. Actually, if you go on the Unity website and you Google, um, just type in vegan or vegetarian and you'll, and you'll get some of Charles's early writings. And, you know, along the way, of course, um, you know, that shifted, right? That, that shifted for, for some people. Um, and we've just got a couple more minutes left with Judy, but I'm wondering, you know, um, if you had one um, recommendation for folks, right, on, on trying to embrace this. Now, obviously, vegan lifestyle is, is one of those things, right? Um, but as people are trying to, to bring this kind of spiritual view of compassion and all beings together, uh, what might that be? And we have two minutes here, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> what the, the, right. the, the one thing um, that they could do tomorrow. 
Okay, well, there's a bunch of ideas in my book, Homo Ahimsa. Um, so if, uh, if this answer isn't enough, you can always go there. Uh, but yes, I think that the most important thing that we can do is meditate. Go within, find that place within ourselves that is true to this high goal of love for all life and find that that mysterious place within us where that that joy resides of the joy of knowing that who we really are and that we're all connected and we're all one and we're all spiritual beings it's just it's such a place of joy and from that place wonderful intuitive ideas will come to us of what what is ours to do Mm, so well said, Judy. So well said. Thank you. And pray at noon. <laughs> Compassion encircles yes. the earth for all beings. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's wonderful. That's, That's yeah. wonderful. Well, thank you, Judy, so much uh, for being with us. It's been wonderful to have you on Big Universe. Oh, I have loved every minute. It's so nice to meet you, Jim. And Sarah, it's great to see you again. So thank you so much. Absolutely. And for more information on Judy McCoy-Carmen, please go to our website at peacetoallbeings.com and pick up our new book. I'm going to get the name wrong again. Tell me the name. Homo Ahimsa. Ahimsa. Homo Ahimsa. Yes. Jim's learning <laughs> Sanskrit. There you go. <laughs> I, I, don't know why, I don't know why I have such trouble with that. Oh, Homo Ahimsa. Thank you so much, Judy. For more right, information. Thank you. Yeah. For more information. <laughs> about Sarah Bowen, please go to spiritual-rebel.com. I've got some premium video courses and I help people create them on my website called youthrivehere.com. I hope you'll join me there. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us. We'll talk with you next time on Big Universe on Unity Online Radio. I have within me greater power than I have used, more life than I have lived. More strength than I've known I have within me. Greater talent to express. More courage I can muster. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.